This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to another edition of Spits and Suds, or as we like to call them, one-timers. And we're really, really happy to catch up with this guy. Excited to have him on Spits and Suds. Brad Lukovich joins us. Good old Western Canadian living in the Dallas Fort Worth area. You remember him playing for the Dallas Stars, winning a Stanley Cup for the Dallas Stars. Brad, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Yourself? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm doing Hi, great. You know, Hi, I, I did. I wanted to start because I think you have so many facets that are fascinating in your NHL career that people might not know. But this is like a kind of a look back in time. So okay. you were born and raised in Cranbrook, which is kind of a railroad town in Western uh, British Columbia. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so your father played in the NHL and I always like correct. to ask people uh, whose parents played and were professional athletes, how that affects you growing up. Were there pressures or was it, Brad, you do whatever makes you happy? And how did him playing professional hockey, because he played for a couple of teams and then he, he uh, played for uh, Calgary in the uh, WHA. And yeah. how how did that affect you growing up? Well, he, my dad was my hero, still is my hero. Uh, was my coach growing up all the way through, right from a young age. Uh, you know, there's a kind of a cool connection. My cousin Morris also played in the National Hockey League. He wound up playing for the old purple, yellow LA Kings. Our hometown, the Cranbrook Royals, were the same colors. It just worked out that way. And the world were, so when I would see, Luke Witch on TV, and then we go live. I kind of was a little young. I was like three, four years old at the time. So the, in my mind, my dad was still in the NHL. He was going to the rink and seeing my dad out on the ice. I'd come home, and I'd still see, I'd hear the name Luke Witch. So I thought my dad was just like the greatest player still uh, at, the, at, at that point. So uh, for me, uh, it was pretty cool growing up. I had a rink in the backyard. He, he was always the guy that was I could look to and ask questions to, to, to get better. I wanted to be just like my dad. What did you do to do to be a better player as a kid? Well, he did this, he did that. He's always at the rink shooting pucks. You know, he he uh, was a little rink rat. He called himself, uh, you know, back in the day. He'd hang out in Battleford, Saskatchewan. He'd hang out after. Back then, they didn't have zambonis. They had like this big cart, and he'd put the hot water in there with a with the rag on the back, and they pull the pull the cart around the ice. 
it's how you learn how to skate or push it, you know? So there's, wow. yeah, back in the day, you know, there's uh, man-powered Zambonis back in the day. My dad was one of those. So um, he did the same thing with me. We were always on ponds. We were always finding places to skate. Uh, you know, but you miss the net uh, playing on the lake. You got to go pretty far to go get the puck back. So there, you, you learn to hit the net at a young age when you're playing on the ponds up, up in British Columbia. So I, it was just always around me. I, my dad was my hero. Being so to me, it was it was just that was my only goal. That was all I was going to do at, when I grew up. I didn't really care about anything else other than playing hockey. Now, did you skate at the Memorial Ice Arena up there? I did. Absolutely. Nice. It's, it's got some kind issues right now. It does, but it's got some problems. The roof's caving in. We gotta, we gotta go in there and save it. There's like all the all the ice in Cranbrook is is gonna be outdoor rinks pretty soon. It's it's not it's not favorable up there right now. All right, you know you know what we need is we, we got to use some of that uh, Niedermeyer money. Oh man, they've done pretty. They've done a lot in that city. They <laughs> they've owned a hockey team. They sold a hockey team. Yeah, they've been back involved with a hockey team. So they do a ton up there. So you're you're basically kind of around the same age as Robin Scott. Did you guys grow up together hanging out? Uh the Brookview Bombers, they were like so they they had a little cul-de-sac area that so when you drew up drove, drive up Victoria Avenue in Cranbrook, uh, right before you go up this big hill that kind of leads out of town to the left-hand side there was Brookview Crescent. So the guys that lived in there were the Mottis, uh, who was a really good buddy of mine bob and alan Motti. so bob Motti was a he was a brookview bomber then he ran around the corner and there was the canes so ryan kane dallas kane they were part of the brookview bombers and then you had scotty and robbie that were there shooting pucks every single day you could hear the you know the ting of the, all the time so they actually had like jean jackets with brookview bombers on the back i wasn't cool enough I never got to be a bomber. I tried to be a Brookview bomber, but I wasn't cool enough. But they were like the, they were the talk of the town since they were little. Their mom, uh, Mrs. Niedermeyer uh, and Doc Niedermeyer, you know, Mrs. Niedermeyer was everybody's power skating coach. You know, we, we were all in the, the uh, figure skating um, extravagances at, at Christmas where there was a little power. I think I wore a letter. I was like a letter once, like an M. <laughs> I skated off the ice and stuff. But she was our power skating coach. So it was a really tight uh, community, real, real bunch of good guys that came out of the, the Brookview area as well. I lived down about a mile away and I would just run down this. I had a straight shot to the to the to there because you could always go there and play. They always knew they were playing hockey. So if you're looking to play a pickup game, street hockey, you could always go to there because Scotty and Robbie were always taking shots in the either you're taking shots you know, at the net working on the shot or they're out playing in the uh, with all the other neighbors in the big floor hockey game or road hockey game. Wow. And, and former yeah. stars, D man, John Clem lived in that area too. Yeah. He, again, he lived on the other side. He wasn't a bomber. The bombers, that's a pretty special thing to be. When Scotty got his big deal, he bought like a Ford Bronco and they would like, and he bought like those jean jackets. They all had Brookview bomber. Everybody was so jealous of it. It was such a corny thing, but it, it wound up being pretty cool. It's like and the hockey version the of West side story. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wanted to be a bomber. <laughs> so like if, if, if like, if you were the bombers and you were meeting at like a local, uh, you know, restaurant in Cranbrook and you saw, you know, clamor someone else, like, you know, you drop in the mitts cause they're on the wrong side. Right. Clamor is a little bit older than me. He's a good dude. He's, he, he's, he's one of those guys that you'd go into the, 
John Clem is like one of the hardest working guys you'll ever meet. Like he would, you'd go into the gym or even if you played, like we had a, this guy named Enzo in Cranbrook, he, he would run the summer league for us. We had guys that coming in from Castlegar, Trail, Kimberly, Fernie, you know, we had the Mattisdorfers, we had Weimer, Xavier Magic, Travis Green. So all these guys would come into Cranbrook because we had good ice there and they'd put it in early. So we had a really cool little uh, group of guys. Well, John Clem would be out there, no shoulder pads on, first skate out there, slide in front of people, like blocking shots. They're like, Clemmer, like, we got six weeks till we got to be at camp. Man. Like, <laughs> take it down or not. But he wouldn't. He'd be going hard. He'd be blocking. He was, he's just that guy that was always the work, hardest working guy. You go to the gym, he'd be in there for three, four hours. Uh, you, you, you know, you'd be in there for an hour. You'd maybe come back an hour later uh, or drive by on your way to the beach, pulling the boat, and you look over and there's Clemmer's truck. So Clemmer was a bit of a, a guy that was just that he didn't talk much, but he's always just, you could just see him always working. He just made his way and he wound up looking at him. He wound up being a, a, an excellent professional, won a couple cups. Yeah. And, and another Cranbrook kid who went on to be pretty good, Stevie Eisman. That was about a 10 year difference from you. But did yeah. you know, did you know Steve? And, you know, I mean, was he well known? Because, I mean, that rise to prominence was pretty quick. Yeah. So he was there. Like, again, I never met him at, at that level. He's older than me and had left already. Um, believe he was like more that he was like, he was born there, played a little bit of a couple of years and then he moved out. Um, but the significance was we actually wore the red and white. So the Cranbrook youth teams there wore the Detroit, uh, uniforms growing up, uh, kind of in homage to him. They changed those colors. They went right to the Detroit colors before they were the Montreal colors. They had the, the blue stripe on there. They removed that. So Iserman was kind of our our guy that put us on the map locally, but really what it came down to was the coaching in the area. Um, they Cranbrook minor hockey association was uh, the Canadian association of the year. They have a guy there named Colin Patterson. That is just an incredible coach. He was my coach. Uh, my dad was an assistant coach with him. He coached the Niedermeyers. He coached everybody. He coached me when I was in uh, playing for the Cranbrook Colts. He wound up playing for the Kootenai ice. This guy was the reason why Cranbrook hockey was so incredible. Mr. Patterson was just, he was just an ultimate teacher. You know, he could just slow it down. He was a math teacher as well at, at the local uh, middle school. So he just had that in him to be a good teacher, but he could really transfer it onto the ice and just, just constantly was turning out really good players. And I think that really comes down just to the coaching level. We didn't have a lot to do there. So for those guys to keep us in the rank and keep us out of trouble was a big, big undertaking for those guys. And Mr. Patterson led the way with that. And I really believe that's the reason why Kramer just kept on putting out those players. For one, what was it? One, uh, well, for 10 years, the Stanley Cup was won by someone from Kramer yeah. uh, every, every single year. I, I mean, that, that goes back to coaching. That goes back to, to, to that. That's what we, as the players, can remember, you know, is giving it back to those guys. Were you ever in a scrum with like Stevie Y or, you know, I mean, the Niedermeyers obviously knew you, but you're like, come on, I'm a, you know, I'm a Cranbrook kid. Go easy. <laughs> no, no, I chirped um, Kirk Maltby from Detroit though once. And I was like saying like, oh, nobody likes you. <laughs> like every guy on your team doesn't even like you. And Eisenman turned around and goes, that's not true. That's not true. And I, and I immediately just shut up like, well, like he's royalty. <laughs> I'll just, 
take my seat over here. Like, uh, uh, I guess if Steve likes him, I'll just, I'll, I'll be okay. So no, I, again, to, to this day, he probably wouldn't even re- know who I was to this, to this day, uh, other than a guy that he played against. Um, to me, yeah, Stevie Y has always been royalty, but the Niedermeyer guys never got into it with Scotty, never got into it. Rob was a little bit more physical. So we, we yeah, bumped, he was. Uh, bumped into each other a little bit more. Um, no, they, uh, those guys, John Clem never bumped into him. Jason Weimer used to run me over daily. <laughs> he was a, he's from Kimberly, but man, he made a habit of that every game. He made sure, and he always turned around and give you a little, <laughs> just like we were in Bantam, right? <laughs> he was a man oh. child and oh, he was huge in Peewee's and Bantam and nothing changed. He, 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 his game was the same way when he played in the show. He just absolutely wrecked guys. And I was one of those guys. So we never went at it. We never threw the mitts. And thankfully, cause he probably would have pounded me pretty good. So, so then you go from, you know, successful juniors, Cranbrook, and then all of a sudden you find yourself on the Kamloops Blazers. And I was looking at that squad earlier. Uh, I'm just going to throw some names out. This is incredible. I mean, two Memorial yeah. cups played yeah. three years there. Uh, Darcy Tucker, Shane Doan, Tyson Nash, Jerome McGinley, Baumgardner, Jason Strudwick. I mean, no wonder you won, you know, m- multiple Memorial Cups. It was an absolutely stacked junior team. Yeah, Mr. Brown did such an amazing job, and Stu McGregor, uh, those guys putting that together. So when we got the, I, I got lucky. I'll be straight up. My my story is simple. I was a 14 year old little guy in Bantam. So my first year of Bantam, the draft year, I was small, didn't get drafted. Uh, got some invitations to some camps though. And, but throughout that year, I started to grow. So I, I, you know, what do I do at the end of the year? I actually wanted to go to Brandon, uh, Brandon Wheat Kings. That was my number one pick that I wanted to go to, but I didn't have a ride. I didn't know how to get to camp. And my buddy, Bob Motti, one of the Brooklyn Bombers, was drafted, I think, in the second or third round by the Blazers. And uh, Mrs. Mrs. Motti was like, hey, if you need a ride, you know, Bob's gone. You could always come to the Kamloops camp. And I was like, let's do it. Jumped in the, the van with those guys, me and my mom and Mrs. Motti and Bob. We drove up to camp. I had an excellent camp. I actually got smoked. My very Daryl Sador took my head off coming across the blue line. My very first shift, I was like, oh, boy, this is a this is a whole other level. Like. 20-year-olds, it doesn't matter. 18-year-olds, 14-year-olds, they don't care. They're coming for you. That was a very big learning experience. But it was like, okay, either lay down and take it or get up and do something about it. So I took the uh, that route and went out and had an excellent camp. They listed me at the the end of that camp. And then I had a really good 15-year-old year. My last year, Bantam, I grew. I was about 5'10". I went, I was about 180 pounds by then. I didn't quite make the team as a 16 year old, which is probably the best thing that ever happened to me. It was a big slice of humble pie for one. Uh, you know, I really wanted to be a Kamloops blazer, but you know what? I wasn't there yet physically, probably not mentally either, but I got an opportunity to go back to the Rocky mountain hockey league, the old Cranbrook Colts, which at the time was uh, where Kamloops was affiliated with. My dad was an assistant coach. Colin Patterson was the head coach. And I got to play. I got to play against some really good players. Dave Scatcherd was in Kimberly, Jason Weimer, those guys. You know, we got to battle it out with those guys. I had a fantastic year, uh, put up some numbers, learned how to fight, learned how to take a butt kicking as well, and uh, keep on keep on going and recover from that. 
There's some big boys. And then my 17 year old year, it was, this is it. You got to make this team. I went into Kamloops and made that squad. And thankfully I just slowly, I was like the sixth, seventh guy and just kind of got a little bit better. And I mean, you're, eventually you're, you're, you're all kids, but at the same time, I mean, you have some amazing leaders in that room oh, yeah. besides yourself. I mean, you got a Ginla, you got Doan who go on to become NHL captains. You know, did you see those leadership skills at that point when your guys are just teenagers? Oh yeah. Donor and uh, Iggy were on a completely different level. You got Like you have to understand the competitiveness nature of these two guys. I mean, for one, Jerome can always do one thing better than you. He's always a little bit stronger. He can get there a little faster. That was the, the mentality that, that he had. So it drove us to try to, oh, I got to beat Jerome. You, you got to get better than Jerome. You go in, the, if he even heard that someone went into the weight room and bench pressed 200 pounds 10 times, he was going to go in there and bench 200 pounds 11 times or 205 pounds 10 times. He was always going to, and he did it until he could do it. He was just the ultimate guy that just drove himself to be better, which in turn drove us to be better. And then man child Shane Doan was just this massive dude that on the ice would just go out and play the game the right way. He didn't take a lot of penalties. He didn't mess with them. He always stuck up for his teammates. He, again, just a, a, a just a example of leadership at 16, 17 that just carried on for the guy's complete career. There's no shock to me that Shane did what he did and is still doing what he's doing. You probably had a unique perspective not to jump ahead, but when, you know, the trade happened um, at the trade deadline to acquire Joe Newendike for Jerome McGinley, you were probably sitting back and say, that's awesome, but do they really know what they got in this kid again? Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, give up your, a, a long future. I, I mean, Jerome may have played here his whole career. Dallas had a reputation to do in that back in the day versus, you know, we want to win right now. So bringing in a, a Joe, uh, with with some experience and the leadership on that side of things, but look what Jerome did in Calgary. You know, so I think yeah. both teams won. There's no loser in that one at all. Um, I I I I, may, I would say city wise, Jerome might have lost out. Dallas is a pretty cool city. Um, not that Calgary isn't, but Dallas is pretty awesome. I mean, um, I don't think there's too many guys in the league that haven't came and played here for the visiting team and wanted to stay. It's a, it's just an amazing city. So, but Hey, Calgary got what they got. Um, they got a lot of good uh, time with Jerome. Jerome did a fantastic job of being uh, an ambassador for the flames. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think again, both winners. Yeah. Sick year for Darcy Tucker for the Kamloops that year, 134 points. <laughs> yeah. Story my dogs are attacking the neighbor's dog. Um, yeah, Tux, Tux, again, you know, and people that don't know Darcy, Darcy's just a little dude. So sorry about my dogs. Um, no, it's okay. It's real live, people. Um, so yeah, Darcy Tucker is just a, a, a fantastic player. You know, playing with Tux, I think we fought maybe once every week, once every twice, uh, twice or so a week in, a, in the practices. That's how competitive this guy was. That's how our practices were ran. We played just like we practiced so hard. We were out there for two hours. We had 45 minutes. They do the ice. We come back out, go out for another 45 minutes. Our practices were very intense. Hazer held us to a top level. Uh, and if we weren't kind of bumping into each other, getting each other's kitchens, it, it would show in the games. 
So to see Darcy put up 134 points, how many penalty minutes did he have that year? He's like Al Secord. <laughs> 94. 94. So the one year he stayed out of the box, he put up 134 points. Donor had 106 penalty minutes that year. Right. What year was that? Our last year, our 19-year-old year? Oh, uh, that, that was 94, 95. Right. So that's the year we won it at home. Not a shabby yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For reference, Mr. Lukovic was uh, 125 PIMS. So you were yeah. a busy man in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we we had that was the Wild West. There was a couple scraps back then, and you had your couple guys. You know, Terry Ryan was a, a good good guy that would he'd help you get a couple pims at the end of the game if you wanted to. So me and him a tussle. He was a good guy. Jeremy Thompson, great fighter. We you know we we go back and forth, fight each other. I think we fought each other six or seven times over our careers. So you know, you just there's there's certain guys that you know on the other side you're gonna be. I was more of a middleweight type of guy. Um, the Chris Murray's of the world, like that guy was just an absolute killer uh, that fought the Rocky Thompson's. Um, so I was more in the middle and there's more guys in the middle, the middleweight type guys than there is at the top. And then you got your, your, your little weight guys, but I would say I was more in the middleweight fashion. I definitely wasn't one of the top guys in there. Um, yeah. But there were, you know, I, 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 it kept me busy. You know, there was a wild, it was a wild time back then. And we played, we played pretty heavy. We had no problem burying a team 10, nothing in those games there. You know how the how, how those get. So many, many of the times uh, we played games where all the gloves were on the ice. Back so in the drafted, day. It was a lot of fun. Drafted by drafted by the Islanders. And yeah. then you're traded to the stars and you're yeah. playing in their minor system. And then all of a sudden you get that call up at a pivotal time. It yeah. was uh and you're all of a sudden you're entering a room with all of these NHL vets finding your way what was that like heading into that room that was a pretty i mean it was an intimidating room but a very comfortable room because the guys were just so they're kind of over the whole rookie thing they'd been around it too much so really they brought you in these guys were all married i think the only guys that weren't were madonna you know um at the time uh, and he was one of the closest guys in ages. I mean, he Carbono, I think I was at his 43rd birthday. <laughs> he's and he's still playing, you know, stuff like that. You know, um, his daughter's closer to me in age who wound up marrying Brendan Morrow, you know, like that, that's, that, that was kind of the age differences back in the olden days when you had those guys. I, my, when I got called up, actually, I was in Kalamazoo. They told me the day before, you know, stick by the phone. You're playing pretty good right now. There's a chance we're going to do something. Um, we don't know what it's going to be, but you know, it may involve bringing you up or you're going somewhere type of deal. Uh, I got the opportunity. They actually traded Sergey Gusev to Tampa Bay for Benoit Hogue opening up a spot. They had just put, brought Doug Lidster in as an extra guy as well. I was actually, I got called up, um, didn't play the first couple of games. And then Mr. Hatcher decided to take some, uh, Revenge out on Jeremy Roenick. We all know that story. He got a 10-game suspension. That was my birth. That was when I got an opportunity to play. So I got an opportunity to play right then, and it was seize the day and sit around. And when that happened, actually, first couple of games, it might have been Anaheim or something where we started getting a short bench as well. Some fights happened. Some guys got kicked out. Hadn't played much, really. And Hitch kind of came down. And but Wilson, they were right behind me. Goes, what do I do? Goes, play the kid. Play him. 
If he makes a mistake, he's supposed to. If he doesn't, we look great. Like right behind me. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Went out there and played pretty decent. Play. I was nervous, but, you know, we got out and did my thing and got an opportunity. Just slowly got a little bit more confidence. The guys were really good. Craig Ludwig, probably the nicest guy I've ever met. Uh, don't tell anybody that because uh, he's supposed to be this big lur lurching or lurking tough guy, but he's just a sweetheart. Really put me under his wing. Told me how to act, told, like basically, you know, you got to show up here, make sure you're not doing this off the ice. Basically gave me the, this is the rules of the, the roost of this group right here. And he brought me in under his wing. And ever since I still, he's still one of my best buddies to this day. So it, it was just that, that, that was the way that group was. Like it was really a lot of teaching through the, from the players. Yeah. Hitch had a lot. Will said a lot. Jarv said a lot, but it was the guys in the room that would, after a game, just come and sit down and sit beside you. But hey, that play before that, you know, they're all over you about. All you got to do is pass it. Well, Holly would always go. All you got to do is pass it to me. Pass it to the best player on the ice. <laughs> you know. Wow. But they would make it. They would make it light. They make it. There was no you're this guy. So it was. A, it was a really good room. I'm. I'm very blessed to be a part of it. It's why I had a long career. They taught me how to, uh, to be respectful and how to be respected as well. Yeah, I, I, I told Lutz he doesn't want to talk about it, but I said you need to be in the Stars Hall of Fame just because of what you were in that room and kind of the go-between with Hitch and some of the players yeah. um, and the experience you brought. And, you know, he kind of brushes it to the side, but, I mean, I think his name has to go up. Oh, I agree. I couldn't agree more. There's there's that from that team, I think you just kind of go from the top and just yeah. – start working your way through guys like Kirk Muller, you know, like Carbonell, like just the, the names are just there to, to, to be put in the hall of fame. I mean, you, they've got this, the, the Dallas stars hall of fame. I think they've got two years down right now. Well, they've got definitely got 10 years of people that they can just pick off of that team right there, all the way from the top guys, right down to the bottom guys. A lot of guys have done a lot of good things in the game, not only in Dallas, but you know, extending their career as well. And now they have these speed competitions in the NHL all-star game. And you could see how fast like a Connor McDavid is or a Nathan McKinnon. And I wanted to ask your perspective because they didn't do it back then. You get called up. How fast was Mike Madonna? He didn't. Well, he, it was like, he wasn't on the ice. It was like, he kind of hopped, you know, he like, he was like gliding or floating or, his jersey would like wave it was just it, it, he, he was a different type of it was a different type of speed there's some fast guys out there but mo did things that were just so flowy and so like he kind of wow that, he'd wow you on simple things just flying down the right side or flying down the left side flying down the middle just watching him skate and pick up a puck and go and get a shot on that he could just it just it just looks so natural to him which would be just us on fast forward. <laughs> he was incredible. <laughs> really, he just moved at a different speed. Were you surprised coming down south? I don't know if that was your first time coming down south. Um, as far as how much the fan base was into hockey and what it was like playing in the reunion arena. Yeah, it was awesome. Coming down, like you got off the plane. We stayed at the old Harvey Hotel out near DFW Airport. There was signage everywhere. Like there was signs on people's cars, like the, the those flags, they were everywhere. You walked into the hotel, uh, official hotel of the Dallas Stars development camp. You go downtown, every mall, our jerseys were everywhere. Hats, people were wearing hats. The malls had stuff, every single store, there's signs on every window. 
uh, you're like, where are you? Are we in Edmonton or Calgary? Like, no, this is like, no, they were in Dallas. And it was, and it wasn't like just one guy, you know, you had the, the bad boys, which were the Ludwigs, uh, you know, they had the, the, the Darian Hatcher. They all had the motorcycles, Guy Carbonell. There was that crew of guys. And then you had the, the, the Madonna's. Uh, when the Brett Hull came in, there was a whole mystique about bringing in Brett Hull, Joe Newendike, having Joe Newendike come in. And it was incredible how many fans that were living in Dallas that were really old school hockey fans. They were just blessed to have a team finally come to their town. They embraced it. Every we have, uh, we'd have, uh, we'd go to like an offsite practice and there would be, you couldn't get in for one. So they have to, we have to stop the bus early. We have to walk through all these people the people wouldn't even be able to see the practice and they'd still be there after waiting for us just to catch a glimpse. It was like, we were like rock stars. It was, it was incredible. Absolutely love the way the fans are here. And they still are they're, they're, Dallas has an incredible fan base. Were you in the room when the famous Pantera, the CD hasn't arrived yet story happened? Yeah. I'm the guy that was in charge of the CDs. Okay. <laughs> Guess who forgot it? Yeah, so, so Luds was trying to take you off the hook the other day when I was talking to him. He said that, it, no, no. He goes, it, it wasn't Luke. It was one of the trainers. Well, yeah, but well, depending, it depends on how you talk to. So some guys, well, the trainers definitely blame me, right? So, okay. So the room, they, I actually, if you want, I can go get the CD box. It's in that room right over there. You have the so CD I, box. I have all the CDs. I have the ones from the Tampa Bay Lightning and all the Dallas Stars ones. So yeah, so I and I would they would get packed. We had a we had an actual sound box that they they took an old uh, warehouse crate and took those old Bose systems and built a big system. So we had like a killer sound system that traveled with us, and it had the and then it had the five changer in there. That's where the CDs were supposed to be. And then the one in, we were in Dallas. I didn't take it out of the thing at the end and put it back in the case. That was what, that was my part. I didn't take it out of the case. Then I took the cases and I put them where they're supposed to be. I forgot to take it out of the case. So, or out of the machine. I just put them where they're supposed to go. They made it to St. Louis. We went in there. So I put on, what was it? Uh, the first song was, oh man, you're going to push me now. Oh, is uh, Kid Rock, the cowboy song. That was, these songs are called the big four. So there was that song. And then we played uh, Whiskey in the Jar, the Metallica. There was another Metallica song and then Nothing Else Matters. And then when we were in St. Louis, we needed a little extra push. And we went to put on the, (laughs) <laughs> you know, wasn't there they knew about it they legit got a guy i think they got a, either a guy on a plane or they got it like they got it there they it wound up in st louis like it wound up and they actually got it there um eventually but yeah that was a quite the controversy over it with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Lud says the whole room was sitting down. Hitch comes in, tells you guys to get on the ice. Lud says we're not going on the ice. Hitchcock starts swearing and says, get the F on the ice. And Lud says, no, we're not going on the ice. I know the CD is in the arena. And when we hear that music, we'll get up. And apparently, once you guys heard it, it was almost like you had practiced it. On cue, everyone rose and went on the ice, fired up. Yeah, that it, yeah. I mean, that's 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 the magic of uh, Pantera, man. That'll do it to you. Wow. <laughs> it was awesome, wow. man. It, that and and our relationship with those guys was so cool too. So yeah, it was, oh man, it was it was quite the time to be in to wear a Stars uni. Wow. Okay, so the Stars go on to win the Stanley Cup, and here's my yep. rant because your <laughs> name is not on the Stanley Cup, and that's effed up um it's just it's wrong i mean you you played and apparently you know there's a rule that you have to play so many games and you were a part of that team and i i don't understand it to this day and my question is is does it does it bother you i think it bothered me more if i didn't win it in 04 with tampa okay Um, yeah because that was i actually yelled that out on the ice in tampa pretty loud to the hockey gods was like, I got my name on it now, you know, can't keep me off this time. And I was, you know, I was, I was pumped about it. Yeah. It was a, uh, to me. And, and that's that my, and, and not in my defense, but to defend, to defend any of the guys that have ever been in the same situation. It's not the, it's not called the NHL finals or the NHL. It's not an NHL tournament. It's the Stanley cup playoffs. It starts in game one. And the guy in game one that does one shift that helps you win is just as important as the guy that plays one shift at the end. That's, that's, that's only my opinion. I, I, I mean, I've had this conversation with a lot of guys. Some guys are, Hey, yeah, the rules are the rules. Like, all right, I get you. More, more, more of the people are on the side of, yeah, you know, I see, I see your point where, you know, if you're in a tournament and you, you play a game, you, you're, you're part of the team. Uh, I didn't get my shift my one shift in the final series. So it's unfortunate. I, I almost did though. Holly, I don't think Holly would have been able to play game seven. I don't think a lot of guys would have been able to play game seven. So, but then again, I may have been in the same situation and the rest of our guys wouldn't uh, have got their names on the cup either. We don't know what kind of shape Buffalo was in at the end of, of game six or games, but I know the shape that our guys were in and our guys gave every single thing they possibly could to win that game. Yeah. Did, did, did you get a day with the cup? Yep. 
I got okay. I got every I got every single bit of it. I was a part of every single bit except for that. That was kind of the and I didn't know. <laughs> so I didn't know until we came back to Dallas and they have like a dinner and, and the cup's there. So it's the Stanley Cup dinner prior, it's like a couple of days before the beginning of the season. We all go in and the cup's sitting there. It was like uh it was on 35, it was like a steak restaurant, and I walk in and the cup's sitting right there, and there's all these frames, like it's just a frame and it's a it's a zoomed in picture of the cup where your name is. And I'm like, I go in there and I'm looking, I'm like, what the hell? Mine's not there. So I kind of turn around and I see the guys and their eyes are like, I'm like, my name's not on the cup. They're like, no, I'm like, well, what the hell am I doing here? So I actually, I turned around, I left. I was pretty choked. So I yeah. left that dinner. I, so I don't, I don't, I, I didn't stick around for that dinner. I left, I got in trouble for leaving, but I left. And uh, cause it, I mean, that, that's who it was for that, that meeting. I was for all the guys that won the cup. So I uh, got their name on the cup. That wasn't for me. So I left, um, left me a little bit sour, but just gave me more, uh, you know, just a little bit of more fight in the game to, to try and get it back on there. And then we lost so no, the Jersey. That so, was like, Oh my God, this is never going to happen now. <laughs> yeah. Did they apologize for not telling you? No. Or did they just assume you knew that's weird? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, Maybe it was, yeah, it was an awkward uh, one. Yeah, it was awkward. Okay. Yeah, no, totally, totally. You had every right to, <laughs> to leave. All right. So, like, Stars fans still talk to this day about the pool party. And were you at the pool party? I, I, I see. You know, I got pictures camera, in there too. So, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm assuming, I'm assuming you were, and I'm assuming it yep. was a, uh, so a was my 16 year old brother. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. So was my 16 year old brother. He was oh, there. Oh no! Oh yeah, he was awesome. My brother Maddie, he was awesome. So the whole night, yeah, I mean, obviously we started off at the Big Apple. The Stars did it right. They gave us these limousines, so they rented like five limousines, and you had a number. No one was allowed to drink and drive, so we always had constant drivers. We were all very taken care of, as safe as possible. Um, we started off that night at the Big Apple, and it was the this is our night to go really hard. And I show up at the Big Apple in the limo with a couple, I think Johnson was there, Sloan, uh, Turks and those guys. So we all pull in and, you know, Matt Machuk and Hatch are kind of giving me the, like, where's your brother? And I'm like, ah, you know, he's 16. This is probably not. He goes, no, no, no. We, we anything, we're, we're good. We're, we're, the, the apple's cool. We, it, I mean, we'll, they're going to put X's on his hands. It'll be all be fine. I'm like, all right, cool. So call. So I call up the limo. They go pick up my brother. He's there in about 45 minutes. So I see him at the door. Hey, bud. Yeah, you know they're gonna do this thing here. So they, you know, be good. You know, don't get in any trouble. There's, you know, this is big city. About 15 minutes later, I'm looking around. Where's my brother? And I look over, and he, he's standing on the edge of one of those beer tubs. And here, he, boom! He does a big dive in the beer tub. I'm like, oh, <laughs> the Luke oh. witches are here. Here we go. <laughs> so my brother was like, just rocking and rolling with. The Pantera guys with us. Eventually, the party shifts over to his house or to, to Vinny's house. My brother and Brent Severin are the two guys that got the cup out of the bottom of the pool. Oh, really? Yeah, they had to go down, swim down, then because it, it filled up with water and it was just sitting on the bottom, like where the where the label is. So you could so every, this is so everybody leaves. We had the whole party. It's about six o'clock. The sun's up now. You know, most of the people had left. The limos are gone. There's a couple of people in rooms and stuff like that. Me and my brother are the last ones to go. We're, we're 
sleeping in some other room. We get up in the morning. We're like, oh, we're going to be late for the parade. We got to get going. So we actually called a cab and there's a guy out front and the guy and it was the DJ from the from the Apple. I forget his name right, for, right now, but he he's like, hey, 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 you guys know the cups in the pool? Right. So we go out there and sure enough, so we had to wake up a couple of guys were like, hey, listen, we got to get that. So Sevy, thank goodness Sevy was still there because he's huge. So we jumped in, we grabbed the cup and you, it was so full that you could, you'd have to like lift it up under the water, but you could only push it so far. And then you, and then the next guy would go down. So they would, one would go up and they, they were doing this one. They finally get <laughs> it to the edge. The two of them would just lifted it up. They finally got it out and it drained all the water out of the bottom. We grabbed that thing. <laughs> Grab the cup guy. We're like, we got to go. The cup guy was sleeping. So we grab him. We throw it in the trunk. We jump in a cab. Now we're late for the parade. So we come, we show up to Valley Ranch and I pull around the corner with my brother and I'm, they're waiting. They're texting us like, where are you? I'm like, don't worry. We're coming. You'll be happy that we're just wait for us. Trust me. You're going to want to wait. We pull up and Hitch is like, I can't believe you're late. Like you're the, of all the people. I'm like, Matt, my, my brother turns around and goes, we got this. And then we go, oh, okay, come on. So we had the cup. <laughs> so we grab the cup, we go on the bus. And I mean, walking to the back of that bus, looking at the guys, they were so green. Everybody was, just, no one had slept. Guys are just sitting there like, oh, I'm going to die. We finally get to the, and then, you know, as we started going about halfway there, the cops were doing their their thing where they, they gave us the, the, the uh, ride down there. And, uh, oops, sorry, we, um, we got down there and sure enough, there's Dimebag and Vinny dressed in green and playing the, the puck off song over and over. They were right behind us. We were the D men. So all, all the D men were on one. Then they had like the Carbono line with Sloney and those guys. And they had the stand, the captains on another. So we were the one right in front of Vinny and them. So we got to see the cup, uh, uh, with, uh, and listen to the tune the whole time, but it wound up being an awesome time, man. That party was that party was legit. Wow. Wow. All right. So, you know, actually, I didn't know this. Dave Reed also said he dented the cup, but it wasn't like at that party. Reader said that he was turning the corner and he hit like he hit like a door frame perfect. And so he yeah. actually had to bring it into like uh, he had this little workbench area and kind of had to chisel it back out because <laughs> I was asking yeah. about the pool party. And he said that's not the only time it was dented. Oh, no. No, so it happened on the plane. So I used to carry around a little camera too. So, and I don't have the cam, the, the video anymore. I left it in a vehicle and it melted. It sucked so bad. I had us uh, actually, cause I didn't play in Buffalo, right? So I had the camera. I was sitting on the on the on the bus as they as the guys got ready for the game. I was videoing. I was sitting on the on the back of the bus watching the guys come on. I was secretly videoing them, right? Just thinking, hey, this could be some pretty cool. We might catch some really cool stuff here on the way to the game. We win. We're on the airplane after I picked it out. And I actually have had it on the airplane out. And a certain individual picked it up and boom, and they hit the roof. So there was that black ring, rim on the bottom had was like straight. So it went around and then it had like a straight part on it. So there was the that's the first dent I saw. When I got it, I was like one of the last guys to get it in August. The like bowl spun, like you, you're like, whatever you do, don't lift it up by the bowl. So I did it once. I lifted by the bowl and it was like bending at the oh. neck. It, it, it was in such rough shape. Our boys, they did a, they did a number on it. So you had to hold it by the neck 
and then hold it by kind of on the bottom. You didn't even want to touch the black piece either. It was just so, so partied on. It was, it, it, had, it had seen it better wow. days by the time I got it. Oh yeah. There was a lot. Wow. Yeah. So were, were you amazed when you, you know, you were obviously a blue liner. It, I, watching Sergei Zuboff's career, I always felt as though he was in slow motion and like he was just ahead and like that one timer from the point, I mean, yeah. we can get into it another time, Luke, but I hate that slap shots are going away in today's NHL. Like to me, that's a beautiful thing that that accurate slap shot from the point. I think that's a weapon on the power play. They just don't use Absolutely. it anymore. It's all about the tip in front of the net. But I mean, I remember like, you know, you could anticipate the crowd was waiting for that puck, especially on the power play to go to Zuboff for that one timer. Yeah. And the other team knew it, too. Right. Yeah. And it still got off. It's like the Ovechkin thing. You know, he's shooting, but you also know he's going to shoot 10 times. One of them is going to go in. He's eventually getting hit by it as a defenseman. You're blocking it. It's going to hurt. So uh, Zuby was, and, and he, and he had a wrist shot too, that he heart, he kind of like the McDavid thing they all talk about now. Zubov would do that. He would just, he had his hands out in front of him. He kind of just pushed down on his stick and the shoot, their puck would go up. There was no recoil. He used the, the ice and the stick to kind of use the, what do they call that thing? The, the the flex point, whatever, like that. But he knew how to use the stick as a strength before anybody. Zuby's a Zuby was incredible to watch. Zubov, Hull, and Madonna before like skating around the ice. Letting too, letting in was pretty good at it. They could handle the puck and the passes. They would rip the puck so hard and like grab it and one time it to each other. And then you they'd like kind of chuckle and do one to you, and it would almost like break your stick. But all they could all do it like so quick and every single day, every wow. one. Were, it was like were, it, were you it was one just of the, like what? Were you one of those guys that stuck around after the game? Apparently, like Zuboff and a couple of the other guys would just sit, crack open some beers. Yeah. So the D man, we always met in the sauna. So being one of the being the rookie, my job was to go get. I had to go get his ashtray. So I would set a little can. There was like a little bucket. I put ice in that. I put some beers in there, and then I had to get his ashtray and his cigarettes and his lighter and Zuby. So in reunion, when you came out of the room, you'd kind of go around the corner to go up to the uh, to the wives' room. It was on the middle level, the mezzanine level, but we had like a little fire hallway that you could go into. So that's where Zuby would go and have his darts. So I'd go in there. I'd put four beers, his little cigarette, his ashtray put his, his lighter in there and he'd have, that was my job to go set up Zuby. Then I'd go back, take all my gear off, do my little bike ride. And then I get to go hang out with the boys and, uh, and then hang out and have some beers in the sauna with the fellas. That was, <laughs> that was a reunion. It was a lot of fun. We had a little, wow. we had a little club there. Yeah, it was neat, man. And then we, and then from there we'd go up and see the wives and most, most everybody would be already out of there. Like the, the, the autograph seekers and that would be out of the wives room by then. And, then we'd hang out with the wives for a little bit and head off to the old reunion club. So then you had bit. your rookie year after that, your official rookie year, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And then all of a sudden an interesting thing happened. And I wanted to get your perspective. You're traded to the wild uh, right yeah. around the NHL draft. But then yeah. two weeks later, you're traded back to the stars. Yeah. And my, my question was, was 
did you know that you were heading back to Dallas or was that one yeah. of those things where you're prepping ready to go to Minnesota? And then next thing you know, it's like, Oh, yeah. you know what? We don't have to move. Yeah. I was choked about it too. Uh, I mean, nothing against Minnesota or anything, but I didn't want to be go to an expansion thing. I was actually going to get picked up by Columbus is why it happened. So Columbus had kind of for, said, yeah, we're going to take this kid. All right. So we won't do that. I think it was Columbus so, so or Atlanta. One of the other teams that were, were coming in, but they were going to take me in the draft. So a way to basically protect me was to send me to Minnesota. So they sent me to Minnesota a couple of weeks later. I uh, got traded traded back for Pavel Patera, I think was the kid's name. Um, but not knowing, because, you know, it's just one of those things that you do. So you come back. Uh, after I got back, all the other guys were like, yeah, man, we, were, we wanted to tell you. We all kind of knew. Eddie was the first guy that called me. He's like, hey, like we all knew. We, as soon as we all called Hicks, as soon as you got traded to Minnesota, that as soon as that, that draft is over, you got to get him back here. Um, you know, all that jazz. So they brought me back. So it was really a lot of the guys that stepped up to get me back. It, that, that was the, uh, that, that, again, that's that, that's that team. That's like team camaraderie we had. We had a great group of guys in that room. So uh, that, that, that's why I got back here. And then you head to Tampa which yep. kind of begins the run to the cup and, you know, replace Madonna, Zuboff, Lettinen with La Cavier, uh, Martin St. Louis, uh, Andre Richards. <laughs> you can't forget Andre Waugh. You got to have Andre Waugh in there. Come on. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, our top line. Yeah. It, we, we, you go from this older, really leadership driven, captains on every other team to a bunch of guys that didn't work out in other organizations that were touted to be good players, but didn't work out here. So those guys being like Dan Boyle was in Florida. He was a non-drafted player wound up in Florida and the coach hated him and told him he'd never amount to anything winds up in, uh, in Tampa Bay gets a shot with a different coach with a different mindset. The guy winds up winning gold medals for team Canada, Stanley cups. Uh, leadership leader leader in San Jose leader in New York so uh, Nolan Pratt a guy that you know played limited ice time in Colorado gets traded to Tampa Bay now he's our top four guy he's a shutdown guy he's got a definitive role wins a cup now he's coaching for the Colorado Avalanche wins a cup you know j just extends his career Chris Dingman supposed to be this big tough guy that can score 50 Al Secord type player gets rejected from in Calgary. They bring him down to Tampa. They put him on a checking line. He accepts the role, wins a cup, wins a cup. You know, it's, it's just, that was the type of team that we were. You got Vinny LeCalvier, uh, the kid that got too much money. He's too ego. That is every single bit, any bad word anyone ever said about Vinny. I was the same way. I thought he was a punk playing against him because of his reputation. When I met him, I was like, wow, they are so off on this guy. He is the sweetest guy. His heart is like as big as anyone's. He gives so much back to the community. And just a, and let's not forget, an amazing hockey player. Richie, same way, kind of just got getting in, getting into the league, you know, getting got, got on Vinny's coattails uh, and rode it hard and did a great job of putting the puck in the net. Uh, Marty St. Louis, Ruslan Fedotenko, like fat, fantastic player. Uh, never even heard of him until I got yeah. there. Never, never even heard of the guy. And then he comes in. He's playing on our top line with Lecavier, like and and dominating, absolutely dominating teams. 
So yeah, when when you look back at that team, I look at a team of guys that were a lot of people had given up on, and John Tortorella had found a way to push us <laughs> in every which way possible to gel as a team to to kind of bring out the best player you possibly that I'll show you if you and like don't silence the doubters. No one believes in us. Let's make people believe in us again. And that's what we did, man. It, and it all comes out of those guys that right out of our leadership group. I'm so enjoying this conversation. And one of the things that I'm fascinated by is, is you're one of the few people that have won two cups in the South. So, you know, you're a part of, because I, I say, Hockey isn't as big as it is today in Dallas without that 99 cup team. And I would say the same thing in Tampa. I mean, going to Tampa now and watching games, I mean, it's a show and the fans are into it. That base loves it. You know, I, I mean, granted, yeah, the team that went on to win a couple of cups, they were certainly special, but it started with you guys. Yeah. And, and well, and the fans there, there was such a sense of community it's the same way in Tampa. When we went to Tampa, it was the same way. We the, the sense of community that we had there, we're all there was there wasn't anyone else really. There was the Bucks. The Bucks had just won, but we didn't have basketball. You know, that's Orlando, so that was our building. The St. Pete Times Forum that is known as the the Lightning's building. That that's that's where they play. You know where the Bucks play. That's where the Bucks play. That's it. Baseball. That was another. That was way out in Clearwater. So we had our own area, our own kind of mystique. We walked around. Same. There's signs everywhere. Every single street had had a bolt on it. They they rallied around us. You had a bad day. They you know there's a lot of snowbirds up there, so they let you have it. You know, so like it's like letting down your 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 mom and dad. They're like, hey man, like pass the puck or you got to fight that guy. So there was a lot of giving giving back to uh, from the from the fans. It was a lot of fun. Um, but it, it just kept on growing and growing, and it just you could just feel that momentum. You look at uh, my I, I remember my first game in Tampa Bay, uh, looking across the building and seeing um, Scott Scott, Mark Tremonti, and Morgan Rose for there two guys from Creed and one from Seven Dust. They were the only three guys in the whole section, and they had their feet sitting over the over the like, you, you can pick wow. them up. I was playing for Dallas at the time. And then, and then I was playing for, for Dallas against Tampa and we we're like, they were my guests. So we see, you know, fast forward three years later, sold out buildings, sold out tickets for weeks. The parking lot was sold out. They were projecting the games on the par side of a parking lot. And there was 10,000 people outside. Like uh, this wasn't even just in the finals. This just, this just slowly kind of happened. And then it, we couldn't go anywhere. It, it was it was amazing. When and when you have that sense of feeling, you just want to be a part of it. Our families want to be a part of it. Our friend, uh, the, the community want to be a part of it. I'm glad that that, that they're winning now again, still because Tampa's a great city to be winning in. All right, we're gonna we're gonna have you on again because I want to talk about modern NHL with you because I don't want to take too much of your time. By the way, you've been a badass and you're great, Thanks, and I think the Spits and Suds listeners are gonna love you. Awesome. Um, but you are a part of a historic trivia question, which do you know what I'm about to that trivia question? I'll, I'll no, give you a hint. It has, to do, a has to do with has to do with cam loops. Oh, really? Yeah. No. Okay. So it's one of the more famous things to do, especially in the minors now. Okay. For Spitz and Suds listeners, Brad Lukovich 
was the first person to score, which initiated a teddy bear toss. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think Tuck's tried to steal it too. If you watch the video, you see him get up and he's sliding across the ice, but everybody comes to me and they're high-fiving me and he kind of went like, ah. <laughs> uh, he was pretty close to Tuck. Tuck's might have had a couple of goals that year like that. Um, yeah, that was uh, Don Larson actually came up with that idea. Um, and I, get, I was one of the humanitarians in, uh, that ran around the city that, that way that year. So um, it was just a, a spitball idea. I believe um, they may have even done some stuff in like Tri-Cities or in the other areas in the league. They had thought of it, but we were the ones that actually executed it. And uh, yeah, uh, it comes up every year and I get people going on there and telling me that um, Tuck's, they think Tuck's touched it. And I'm like, no, that's just typical Tuck's. Um, but I, I like, it's enjoyable every year. It's usually the same people giving me plugs. Here's, here's your one day of fame. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, millions of dollars in charity have been raised now because yeah. of different teddy bear tosses and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. So you are part yeah. of history. That's right. Uh, I don't, I don't think you can make any money off of it, but you, no. you are a part no. of history. Um, <laughs> no. And, and, and finally, I'm going to end on this because, you know, I like to do my deep dive of prep. So okay. I asked Craig and Greg Finley, our producer of Spits and Suds okay. is going to play this for you. I okay. said, is there anything I can bring up on Luke or do you want, is there any chirping that you'd like to do with Luke? So Greg hit what Craig had to say. <laughs> Luke comes to our alumni skates um, on Friday. Yep. It's there takes his equipment down from our, you know, his locker, lays it out, like we're getting dressed and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we're getting dressed and getting ready to go on there. And as I'm walking out the door, there's Luke sitting in the lounge having a drink. <laughs> Never steps on the ice. So there, yeah. there's, I give it to him all the time. I'm like, Luke, but you're coming on the ice. Well, I was gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna. <laughs> then he ends up talking to room and, you know, he has a little... Whiskey, probably, and we don't see him until we get off the ice. Yeah, that is, that was, that, that is, that is true, was true. There was a little bit of time there that I wasn't too happy about going on the ice. My feet were pretty sore. I'll give you five other excuses. The same thing I tried to do with Luds, and he just goes, nah, yeah, whatever. I, I don't care. I really don't care. Luke. It just, you were marked as playing, and now the teams are messed up because I, they they stack the other team or they stack your team. So that's kind of I get that every week. Yeah, I, are you really playing? So I'll actually just put a little blurb in there and let them know. Yes, I'm actually playing this time, or no, I'm just coming to eat the food. They've got good food there too. <laughs> Did you go to Halloween and have to dress up? We had practice this year. I'm coaching 16 U Texas Tigers okay. out of Farmers Branch. And we decided to, we, we were going to a tournament in Vegas on Thursday. So it would have been our last skate. If we would have canceled that skate, we wouldn't have had a whole week off. Um, so we decided to have a practice anyways. We all let the boys dress up and we just did the scrimmage. And I actually put on Kari Lettinen's gear. So I dressed up as Kari for, for uh, Christmas or for the, for the state. And it did not, uh, did not go so well for me. I'm not a goalie, man. That is some tough stuff. It's so hot. Like you're just, ah, it's so hot. The whole time, you're just the whole time you're like, oh my gosh. Like you're trying to find ways to get air in there or out. So I don't know how they do it. I really, to this day, I'm I gotta have that conversation with Kari. How do you keep yourself cool? It is unbelievable how hot it is in there. 
I, yeah, no, it's not only hot. I, I did it once for like a, uh, a charity thing at uh, in between one of the periods and the stars thought it would be funny to bring out like a semi-professional player and shoot oh. on me. And I couldn't even see the puck. It was whizzing by me. And then one was coming right at me. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to save it. I, I saved the puck, Luke. My whole arm swelled. <laughs> you weren't wearing Kari's gear. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I, so Turco was, Turco was, I, I asked him afterwards. He's like, yeah, you just get used to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, we don't, I'm glad I didn't have that problem the whole, my whole career, but Holy man. Yeah. It was, it was fun. I had a good time. I, I would do it again. I would, I would definitely do it again. Um, but I would make sure the gear fits a little better or, and maybe have a talk with Kari first. Cause there's gotta be a button that turns on an air conditioning or something. Cause it was just, wow. It was yeah. so hot. That's all I, I, that's all I remember the whole time is being in there. Just like, keep looking at the clock and like, when is this over? I'm going to pass over in the heat. I didn't stop. Well, five, uh, so I, I don't, I didn't have your problem. Our, our follow-up we'll do it in person. Frosty's on me. All right. And uh, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate yeah. it. You're a badass. This was awesome. Thanks, love the stories. Love hearing about your upbringing. And uh, we'll catch up soon, my man. You got it. Thanks for having me. And thanks for another edition of Spits and Suds One Timer. Thanks for listening on 105.3 The Fan.